Welcome to The Gallopod with me, Gallopacidia. In this episode, I'm reading part three of my fic, Teenage Wasteland. If you're not here for dry fanfic, you're in the wrong place. Content warning. This story deals with themes of domestic violence, child abuse, and alcoholism. I hope you enjoy Teenage Wasteland. Chapter three. Harry took a shower to wash away the feel of Malfoy. As he lathered himself up, he noticed that his body didn't hurt. He flexed his arms, his feet. Nothing. No ache. It was gone. He hadn't been so pain-free since before the bite. Malfoy had been terrified when Harry touched him in anger. Harry knew quite well that in school, before he had been bitten, Malfoy would have fought back. He hadn't ever scared Malfoy at school. Even after Sectumsempra, Malfoy had regarded him only with loathing, never fear. It was very clear what had changed. Harry. Newly bitten. Newly dangerous. Harry made the shower hotter, almost scalding. He went to a nightclub, picked up a guy, took him home, fucked him, let him stay the night. Tried not to think about Malfoy with his impossible mouth and his sharp, glittering eyes and his girlfriend that he was cheating on. There was always some new way for him to be a shit, apparently. Harry had to give him that. When it came to being awful, Malfoy didn't pen himself in. He branched out. He found new ways to hurt people all the time. Harry kept thinking back to that afternoon after the market, before he realised Malfoy was working for Tertius. He didn't understand how someone like Malfoy could have given him such a complete impression of... Harry wasn't sure what of. That first time had felt like a tipping point. Like he and Malfoy had been circling something for years, and in bed had kissed almost to the edge of it. One more time like that, Harry thought, and they would have toppled over. He made the guy he'd fucked some toast and sent him on his way. When Draco got home, he paused before unlocking the door. He needed to formulate his face. The last thing he wanted was for Adelaide to know something was wrong. Not that he would be able to tell her anyway. The contract would bind his tongue. But all the same, he was ashamed of himself. He would hate for Adelaide to let someone treat her that way. He felt that he was a pretty poor example of self-respect. He also knew that he would do it again, given the chance. But when he got inside the flat, Adelaide's door was closed, and he could hear her crying. He knocked. She didn't answer, so he cracked the door open. Go away, she said. Adelaide, go away, she screamed, and threw her shoes at him. He made a chamomile tea, chopped up an apple, put a scoop of Nutella on the side. If someone had hurt her, he fumbled the knife. He brought the tea and the snack to her room. She lay face down on the bed, her hair still brown from when he'd glamoured it that morning. He touched it gently with his wand, and it went blue. Your roots are showing, he said. She sobbed harder, but didn't tell him to go. He sat on the edge of the bed, put one hand on her back. I brought your tea. Thanks, she said, through her tears. Then she sat up and poured herself into his lap. He pulled her up, tucked her head into his shoulder, rocked her, and waited. For a long time, she just cried. Then she buried her face deeper into his shoulder. The boys, she said. Draco tightened his grip around her. The boys only like me because I put out. Draco kissed the top of her head. Bullshit, he said. Camilla said. Oh, fuck Camilla, said Draco. That girl's just jealous of you. 
But it wasn't just... She was racked by a fresh wave of sobs. It wasn't just her. Who else? Do you need me to beat someone up? I will, said Draco, quite seriously. He could afford to be serious because he knew she would never ask him to do it. Tom Scuppers texted me asking how much I would charge, wept Adelaide. I hope you told him he couldn't afford you, said Draco. They think I'm a whore, said Adelaide. It's none of their business what you do with your body, said Draco. His voice sounded too fierce. He tried to calm himself. It's no one's business. It's yours. If... If they knew, she said. Draco, who's ever going to want me? Draco pressed his lips against her scalp. He was so angry, so helpless. He wished he had stabbed Tertius in the night, except that would have been too quick. I want you, he said. Adelaide sobbed a laugh. Great, she said. Let's get married. Draco sighed. I'm sorry you've had a shit day, he said. It will get better. I promise. Adelaide gave another hiccupy laugh. <laughs> like it did for you. Draco paused. Yes, he said. Please, your life's a slow motion train crash, she said. Some light at the end of the fucking tunnel you are. Draco didn't move. His therapist had told him that when Adelaide pushed him away he shouldn't let her. But it was hard, because her words had twisted under his ribs. I'm happier now than I was, he said. That's the most depressing fucking thing I've ever heard, said Adelaide. Draco did move away then, coward that he was. He shifted her gently off his lap and passed her the cup of tea. She said thank you without looking at him. You know that I... He stumbled. It wasn't something they had ever really said in his family. You know that I... And I think you're brilliant. She took a sip of her tea, then put the mug carefully back on the bedside table. I'm not marriage material, she said. You're fifteen, said Draco. That's not that... I'm never going to be marriage material. No one will ever want to keep me. I'm just fun. For a little bit. Until you meet the real girl, the nice one. The one who never seduced a fifty-year-old when she was a child. You didn't seduce him, said Draco. You weren't there, spat Adelaide. She sat sideways on the bed, her head in her hands. I'm calling your therapist, said Draco. We'll see if she can fit you in this evening. Okay, said Adelaide, weakly. And if you tell me where Tom Scuppers lives, I'll go bat-bogey him, said Draco. Adelaide laughed and cast him a grateful look. You won't, though, will you? she said. You won't contact the school or anything. Draco stretched the crooked fingers on his right hand. He couldn't make a fist with it. I hope for there to be no consequences, he said. Please, Draco, please don't say anything, said Adelaide. I'm going to hell, said Draco, bleakly. He thought about it, on the nights when Adelaide slept over at Fiona's and the flat was quiet. Hell, an eternity of fire. The room of requirement, waiting for him. All right, I won't say anything. Thank you, said Adelaide. Then, again, serious, her hand reaching for his. Thank you. Draco squeezed. I... 
Look, he said. I know you're going to find this embarrassing, but don't, said Adelaide. You're the best person I've ever known, said Draco. You're smart and kind and beautiful. Adelaide had gone very still, listening. You're going to be just fine. None of that stuff that happened to you, none of it can stop you. He swallowed. It wasn't your fault. And that's a pretty good position to be in. Innocence. You think I'm innocent? Do you want me to tell you how many people I've slept with? Said Adelaide. You're innocent, said Draco. He let go of her hand, tried to smile. I would know. Her mascara was clumped and wet. She touched his arm. So are you, she said. Ah, said Draco. No, but I am an expert on the subject of guilt and innocence, and you can trust my judgment. Something crossed her face, a strange expression that he caught there sometimes and could not translate. She stood and took the mug and untouched plate of apples. I want to dye my hair pink, she said. Draco tilted his head, considering her. You've never done pink, have you? I'll make up the potion, he said. She bit her lip, then looked at him, her face sad and truthful. You're the best, she said. By the fourth day, the pain started to come back. On the fifth day, Harry ran eight miles, came back to the house dripping with sweat, still aching. And there was something more as well, like a memory throbbing in his head. The memory of Malfoy, cold and irritable, telling him to lie back and not touch him. Malfoy refusing to let Harry have sex with him. Why? Had it been so bad for him the last time? Because for Harry it had, unfortunately, been the best sex of his life. The experience that came back to him in the shower when it had been too long since he'd slept with someone. It was probably the whole wolf thing. That was why he kept thinking about Malfoy, about the different ways he'd been. He wondered what motive Malfoy could possibly have for wanting to hook up with him. He imagined the witch-weekly interview Malfoy would give, and felt his skin crawl with embarrassment. "'Aren't you ever going to get a job?' asked Ginny, when she came over. Harry had taken up the piano in Los Angeles, and didn't answer, just kept tootling his fingers up and down the keys. Ginny leant against the piano. "'No? Just gonna sulk for a decade or two? Harry started playing Brahms. I genuinely don't understand how you can be this prejudiced against yourself when you never gave two hoots about other people's blood status, said Ginny. I'm not prejudiced, said Harry. You're giving a pretty good impression of it, said Ginny. It's like third-year Malfoy in here. Harry's fingers fumbled on the keys, but he managed to gloss over it. I'm nothing like Malfoy, he said. But now all he could think of was Malfoy bending over him, slow and gentle on the sofa, completely breaking with all that came before, sweet and careful. And then the expression on his face when he was done, or more precisely, the lack of expression. What was his game? I think you're using the whole werewolf thing as an excuse for quitting the auras, said Ginny. I haven't thought about it, said Harry. Ginny seemed to give up on him then. She started talking about George's new girlfriend, and Harry relaxed a little, even stopped playing the piano, eventually. By the time Malfoy showed up with his potion for Harry's next weekly dose, Harry was a mess of tumbled feelings. But the one that was foremost was pain, and Malfoy was a cure. Harry pulled him inside by the lapels, shut the door behind him, pressed Malfoy up against the wood, and kissed him. Malfoy was stiff for an instant, then kissed back just as hungrily, as if he, too, hadn't been able to think of anything else all week. "'I owe you,' said Harry. 
Malfoy frowned. You... Harry dropped to his knees. Oh, said Malfoy. Yes, you do. But afterwards, Malfoy returned the favour. Harry sprawled out on the stairs, Malfoy on his knees before him, and Harry wanted to touch him so badly that he had to hold on to the banisters to stop himself. When he was done, Malfoy lifted his face. His eyes were cold. You didn't have to do that, said Harry, groggy with the combined aftershocks of pleasure and relief from pain. His muscles had stopped hurting the moment Malfoy touched him, if he didn't want to. Malfoy wiped his mouth with the back of his hand and stood, straightening his clothes, although they looked perfectly ordered to Harry. Harry did up his trousers and tried to remember if the jumper he was wearing had holes under the armpit. I wanted to, said Malfoy. And maybe he did, thought Harry. Maybe he felt guilty about cheating on Adelaide, and that was why his face was like that, so hard and pained. Malfoy felt around in his pocket and withdrew the potion bottle, handed it to Harry. Did you have any unforeseen side effects? he asked. No, said Harry. It felt just the same as it did in L.A. Dinsmore did a good job. Malfoy laughed. Dinsmore didn't make it, he said. He didn't? Dinsmore can barely make a sleeping draught, said Malfoy. Harry frowned. But he's the best potions master in the UK. His shop was the only place that could make it. I asked around, he said. Malfoy's face flashed with happiness, just for a moment. I make all the potions, he said. All the hard ones, anyway. Harry checked the instinct to mock him for boasting. He wasn't sure why. It was typical of Malfoy to show off about the smallest thing, and that had always irritated Harry. But there was something about the way he had shut away his happiness so quickly that made Harry feel strange, uncomfortable. Well, good job, said Harry. Malfoy blinked, then said, Thank you, as if he resented having to say it. He was hovering by the door. See you next week, then, said Harry. Malfoy pinched the bridge of his nose. Money, Potter, he said. Oh, said Harry, and handed over the gold. Malfoy swallowed as he took it. This is... Sorted, he said. Jesus, said Harry, don't make it weird. Malfoy laughed, weighing the money in his hand. He looked for a second as if he was about to start shouting, but he just put the money in his pocket and turned to go. Malfoy, said Harry. Malfoy leant his forehead on the door, breathed out. What, he said. If you tell anyone about this, I'll deny it, said Harry. Why? Malfoy banged his head gently on the door once. On earth would I ever tell anyone? That night, luxuriating in the painlessness, Harry realised that Malfoy cheating on his girlfriend was probably a rare instance of Malfoy's cruelty working out in Harry's favour. It lessened his incentive to sell Harry out to the papers. The secrecy contract made very little difference to Harry's paranoia. Malfoy was plenty clever enough to work out how to break it if he decided he wanted to. Harry had never been able to shake off the betrayal after Andrew. The feeling that everyone who got close to him would use him. Hermione said it wasn't about Andrew at all, but about Dumbledore. She was probably right. Harry didn't know. He tried not to think about it. And do you think this was a healthy addition to your life? Asked Draco's therapist. His name was Kevin, and with every passing session, Draco grew more certain of his idiocy. Like now, for instance. No! said Draco, staring at him. Of course it's not healthy. That's what I'm telling you. 
But you intend to continue sexual contact with Potter? asked Kevin. He was a muggle and had no idea who Potter was. Draco had been surprised when he was able to talk about Potter to Kevin. But he supposed it was a muggle-born rights thing, that tongue-biting contracts wouldn't apply to therapists and priests. He probably won't want to next time, said Draco. It's mental that he's... I mean, he must just be desperate for a shag. It's the only... Kevin waited until it was apparent that Draco wasn't going to finish his thought before he spoke. Is it possible that Potter likes you back? he asked. Back? said Draco. Draco, said Kevin, steepling his fingers. There were inspirational posters all over his office. Dreams don't work unless you do, and pain is real, but so is hope. Draco spent a good proportion of his sessions hating them and Kevin and the concept of therapy in its entirety. What? said Draco. You've talked about Potter quite a lot in these sessions, said Kevin. And now he's back in your life. I think we can accept that you like him. I, said Draco. He looked at the poster of a dog balancing a ball on his nose. No one is the best at everything, but everyone's the best at something. Draco frowned. There's no way that dog is the best at that. What in the world? That dog? Not a chance. They're a professional clowns. They go to clown school. That post is offensive to clowns. You're deflecting, Draco, said Kevin. It was the fucking worst. I want him to like me, said Draco. I've always wanted him to like me. Does it feel like he likes you when you do sexual activities together? Do you speak like that with your friends? asked Draco. Hello, chums, just got back from sexual activities with a hot babe. Kevin just watched him over his fingers. No, said Draco, sinking into the couch and idly plucking at the stupid plastic plant on the side table. No, obviously it doesn't feel as if he likes me. It feels as if he despises me. That must be hard for you. I know how you like to be liked, said Kevin. You don't like me, said Draco. Of course I like you, Draco. Fucking robot, said Draco, then laughed. Sorry, I'm spending too much time with teenagers. Sorry, that was rude. You can be rude to me, Draco. There won't be any repercussions if you don't behave well around me. Draco grimaced. I'm going to do it again. Hook up with him. There's no way I won't. It's all I think about. He's so attractive. It feels like like a sickness or something, what I feel for him. It's always been like that. Fuck. Even when I was twelve, it was like that. And now it's just morphed, changed, so it's... Draco stopped. Sorry, I'm rambling. Kevin sighed. There's no rambling in therapy, Draco. I want you to talk. Right, said Draco. Well, point is, I'm an embarrassment, but the sex is good, so I guess this is where we are now. If Adelaide was sleeping with someone who loathed her, I would... He stopped. You would, said Kevin. Let her do what she wants, because she makes her own choices about her body, said Draco gloomily. But I'd hate it. He winced. I do hate it. Just not as much as I like it. Time's up, by the way. You should get a timer or something. I bet people are taking advantage of your leniency all the time. You could probably get a nicer office if you were stricter about that sort of thing. I like my office, said Kevin, mildly. Oh, yeah, of course. Who wouldn't? said Draco. See you in two weeks, Draco. Remember, you can call me if things with Potter are making you feel inadequate. Draco laughed. Later, 
He thought back to what he had talked about in that session and was ashamed of himself, of his selfishness. He had barely mentioned Adelaide at all. Adelaide locked herself in her bedroom, the music blaring. She had been cruel and sullen all evening. She hadn't done her transfiguration homework, and when Draco chided her, she said, You were a good student, weren't you? Brilliant at magic? Why would I want to be like you? I'd kill myself if I had your life. And Draco had blinked a few times, the way he always did when she said things like that, feeling as if someone had just hit him in the head, and he would know, trying not to show how crumbling it was to be told all the worst things about yourself by someone you loved. He got back to the lesson, she stormed out, and locked her bedroom door. He tried to work on inorganic potion theory. A headache built up in the back of his head. He never used to get headaches, before that day he'd slept with Potter and Hershes had punished him for coming home late. He ignored the throbbing that seemed to spread from the crown of his head, and moved on to working on his pain potion formula. All the options on the market either caused grogginess or dependency, or both, so he couldn't use them. He was trying to find some way to make a pain potion that truly had no side effects. It was what Adelaide called his art. He designed potions for her all the time, like the hair dyes and eyeshadows that never smudged. He made her a perfume every year for her birthday, although that wasn't really potions. Adelaide only wanted his cosmetic creations, which weren't his favourite to make, but they had improved his technique. They had given him a focus on beauty, an understanding of how to make a potion elegant in its composition, clean. If only he could find some way to transfer that clarity to the pain elixir. If only his head would stop pulsing with thick throbs like Tertius was still there, smashing him into a wall forever. Adelaide's door opened, and she swaggered out. She wore ripped black fishnets and sky-high heels, and the smallest dress Draco had ever seen. I'm going out, she said. No, you're not. It's a Wednesday, said Draco. You can't stop me. You're not my boyfriend, she said. Her speech was slurred. Yes, I can. And that's not what a boyfriend's for, by the way, said Draco. She sidled over to the table and leant up against it, sitting on his notebook, her thighs exposed. She ran one finger up his chest. He grabbed her hand and shoved it away. You're drunk, he said. And you're hot, she said. Draco edged his chair out, got up and went to stand by the counter. Adelaide tilted her head. What? You called me beautiful the other day. I know you want me. Adelaide, I don't. Please don't do this, said Draco. I'm drunk, you're lonely, what's the problem? said Adelaide. Draco hadn't cried since sixth year. He was shocked to find tears stinging sharply at his eyes. You said you wanted me, said Adelaide. That's not what I meant, said Draco. You know that's not what I meant. Don't you? Please tell me you know. His head hurt so badly. He wished there was an adult in the room he could turn to. His mother would have known what to do. He wished there was anyone, anyone at all, whom he could call. Not for Adelaide for once, but for himself. For how awful it was to have failed her so completely. Adelaide didn't notice that anything was wrong. She tripped on her heels as she came towards him, and he caught her. Sit, he said, and pushed her into a chair. I'm making you food. You're a bad cook, she said, and slumped forward on the table. She sang as Draco made pesto pasta. While the water boiled, he leant his head against the kitchen cabinet and breathed through the pain. It was getting worse. He was starting to feel nauseous. Fattening, she said, when he gave it to her. 
Yeah, so is whiskey, said Draco. But it's much more fun, she said, with a toothy smile. Not for me, said Draco. You're cross, she said, her mouth full of pasta. No, said Draco. You never hit, no matter how cross you are, she said. Draco pressed his hand to the back of his head. It sometimes felt as if it had all started with violence, and it could end with it too. He fantasised about cracking his head open against the concrete pavement outside their flat. How good it would feel. How it would knock the pain right out of him. Eat, said Draco. You're the only person I've ever trusted, said Adelaide. Did you know that? No, said Draco. That makes me sad. I hate making you sad, said Adelaide. She put down her fork and burped slightly. Excuse me. Do you regret taking me? Never, said Draco. Not even once. Why don't you want to fuck me? Don't you think I'm pretty? Draco put his face in his hands and shook. Just shook. Adelaide carried on talking. I think green hair will look good on me, but Fiona says it would make my skin look blotchy. What did you want to be when you were my age? I think I'd like to own a restaurant, maybe. Or be a vet. Can we get a dog? Draco, can we? No. Draco got out. It was hard to speak. Boo, said Adelaide. You're so boring all the time. The light hurt his eyes. I wish you wouldn't drink, he said. You drink, she said. Draco tried to shake his head, but couldn't. He stood. Come on, let's get you to bed, he said. Okay, she said obedient as a child, and followed him to her bedroom. He had done it a thousand times, taken off her shoes and her bangles and her spiky earring, but he was scared of touching her just then. Take off your shoes, he said. Did you love Tertius? I loved him, she said, sitting on the bed and holding one leg out expectantly. I don't know, said Draco, and undid the strap. She held out her other leg. I love you, she said but different. Draco undid the other strap. She kicked the shoes off and slunk into bed, yawning. Like a brother, maybe, she said. Draco caught his breath. I'd like that, he said. She didn't answer. She had fallen asleep. Draco took some pepperup potion and two paracetamol and settled himself in the chair next to her bed to watch over her in case she was sick in the night. She texted him the next day while he was at work. I'm so embarrassed. Draco thought for a long time before replying. About what? <laughs> Lol. Thank you. He put the finishing touches on Adelaide's potion before checking his phone again. There was a text from Adelaide on it. I'm sorry. I love you so much, and I understand if my behaviour makes you want to, like, return me. I love you too. Can't return you, though. I think you're going to be rich, and I'm holding out hope that you'll buy me a house out of gratitude. Also, you're grounded. Wait, what? Are you serious? Yes. It's Fiona's party this weekend! You had your party last night. Don't freak out. We'll make fondue and watch that stupid movie. She didn't answer. She would probably give him the cold shoulder for the rest of the week. 
Sometimes Draco fantasised about 22-year-old Adelaide apologising for being such a difficult teenager. But then he thought about all the guilt she'd feel as she remembered it all, and hoped she wouldn't. He went to the bathroom before going to Potter's, and stared at himself in the mirror. He looked like shit. He cast glamours on the bags under his eyes, on his twisted hand, but he was too tired to do them well, and it all looked weird as if he were wearing cakey makeup and a flesh-coloured glove. He took the glamours off. He tried to fix his hair. It was no doing. Potter would just open the door looking effortlessly hot in that oh, this? I just found this on the floor sort of way. Draco dressed decently, but there was no way he could pretend he wasn't trying. Which made days like today, when he looked shit despite all his efforts, all the more depressing. Potter didn't seem to notice, however. He was on him almost before Draco had stepped through the door, hands all over Draco's body, breath hot against Draco's neck. Tertius had hated it when Draco flinched. It always made his anger more violent, so Draco and Adelaide had both learned not to, to hold very still when frightened, and take the blows. It's only Potter, Draco reminded himself. He forced his muscles to unclench. Hang on, stop, he said. Potter pulled back instantly, eyes blown wide. See, only Potter, thought Draco. What? said Potter. He looked tense, as if he was about to start punching something. But Draco knew he wouldn't. Look, can we just do the transactional thing first? It's crap the way we've been doing it, said Draco. The... Oh, said Potter. Yeah. He patted down his trousers, swore. This way, he said, and led Draco into the sitting room. He moved strangely, too restlessly like a caged tiger. He kept running his fingers through his hair as he searched for the money in a desk by the window. You're in pain, realised Draco. Potter looked up. What? Draco was sifting through the reading he had done in his head, the things he had learnt about werewolves since finding out Potter had been bitten. And then he hit upon it. That's why you want me, he said. Here's your money, said Potter, tossing the bag of coins and holding out his hand for the potion. But Draco's brain was alight. No, wait, I think I can... Draco paced to the window and back. It's connection. What are you talking about? said Potter. I can adjust the potion said Draco, to deal with the ache. Potter shifted on his feet. His face was set, hard and determined. Can we talk after? he asked. Oh, said Draco. Right. Yes. It explained a lot. Potter wanting him. Potter's desperation. Draco had read about how sex helped with certain werewolf side effects, but he hadn't put two and two together. They ended up on the floor, beside the fire, Draco was still delicate from a night of headache, so he used his hand, his left. It was clumsy. Potter climbed over Draco so that he was on his other side. There, you can use your right, he said. Ah, uh, no, it's... My right hand's a bit fucked, said Draco. So Potter moved back. After they'd both come, Potter lay spread-eagled on the hearthrug, panting. What were you on about before? he asked, eventually. Draco had dressed and sat with his knees to his chest against the sofa. He was lost in his head, already calculating how he would change the potion formula to include a pain-killing element, but it would have to include the soothing pack behaviour. "'I'll bring you a new potion this evening,' said Draco. "'Then you can add Grandjol Weasley's hair and it should cure the ache.' Potter sat up. "'I've never had sex with them,' he said. Draco rolled his eyes. "'Get your mind out of the gutter. It's nothing to do with sex. It's connection. Haven't you noticed that you feel better after they touch you?' 
Potter stared into the ashy fireplace. Huh, he said. You never noticed, in two years. Potter glanced at him. I was in L.A. Oh, said Draco. That makes sense, actually. I take it you didn't have much of a community there. Potter clenched his jaw, looking as if he thought this was a trick question, and shook his head. Right, said Draco. It's a wolf thing. You need your pack. My pack? Fuck off, said Potter. I will, actually, said Draco, getting to his feet. Then he remembered Adelaide. Shit. Give me a second. He texted her. What are you doing this evening? Staying at school. Cookery club. Draco stared at his phone. You joined a school club? Cookery club. Wow, okay. This is why I don't tell you things. Uh, Malfoy, what's going on? said Potter. Draco looked up. Sorry, sorry. Was just seeing if Adelaide would notice if I... Potter's face grew cold and cruel. Draco hastened on. But she's busy anyway, so it's fine. Fine, is it? said Potter. Draco watched him hopelessly. Was he supposed to be with Adelaide a hundred percent of the time when she wasn't at school? Maybe he was. Maybe that's what a good parent would do. He wondered if Potter gave reports about Draco's parenting to his social worker. Well, I'll be back in a few hours, said Draco. Whatever, said Potter. Back at Dinsmore's, Draco pored over his private workings, trying to separate the parts of his painkiller equation that would work in the new werewolf potion without counteracting any of the active ingredients. His head was foggy from lack of sleep, so he took a triple dose of pepper up and checked his working five times. But eventually, he was sure he had cracked it. It was only another hour's work to add the steps to that week's batch. By 8pm it was ready. He texted Adelaide. You're still at school? Yep, club runs till ten. That's... Weirdly late. We're making a souffle. Ah, okay. I'll be back by then, so I'll see you later. Yep, yep. Potter opened the door, pulled him inside, and kissed him. Jesus, said Draco, breaking away. Does the pain come back that quickly? Potter looked confused. Christ, said Draco. Just wait until you have sex with someone you actually care about. Should last hours, then. Days, even. Potter frowned, looking as if he hadn't understood a word Draco had said. Days, if it's with someone I care about, he asked. That's what I said, said Draco, stepping close to Potter and kissing him. Clearly Potter wouldn't be able to focus until he'd got off. And that was a very good excuse for Draco to kiss him. He ran his hand through Potter's black hair, pressed close against him, sighed into his mouth. Potter stood, strong and unyielding, and let Draco undress him. But then his patience seemed to run out. He hoisted Draco up so that Draco had to wrap his legs around Potter's hips and carried Draco into the sitting room. Afterwards, they sat on the sofa, their heads tilted back, staring at the ceiling. Potter lolled his head over to look at him. You really think you figured out how to make the ache go away? he asked. Draco nodded. Here, he said, and handed Potter the vial. Like I said, just one hair should do it. Pick either Granger or Weasley and then try the other next time and see which works better. And you should try to build in contact hours with them, it'll improve your symptoms. Potter took the vial and rolled it between his fingers. How do you know about all this? I read all the books and there wasn't anything about... packs. It's in the California Potion Guides, said Draco. I did research after I found out about you. Potter looked as if he didn't know what to make of that. 
His gaze dropped to Draco's mangled right hand. He reached out slowly and pinched Draco's wrist, lifted Draco's arm, and Draco let him. Potter drew Draco's hand up so that it was framed against the light, warped fingers jutting out at odd angles. Potter whistled. It is fucked, he said. What happened? Tertius, said Draco, shortly. Potter went quite still, a frown building slowly between his brows. He... Yeah, had a bit of a temper, said Draco. Potter threw him a look that Draco thought was either scorn or confusion. He couldn't be sure. Then he returned to Draco's hand, moving it around, and Draco's fingers cracked unpleasantly with each manipulation. Does it hurt? asked Potter. It's a bit achy, said Draco. Sorry, said Potter, letting go immediately. No, just, I mean, always. You weren't hurting me, said Draco. He had felt, while Potter observed his hand, that he was on the verge of passing some sort of judgment, and Draco wanted badly to know the verdict. But Potter did not touch him again. He still had that confused or scornful expression. I, he said. His eyes flicked to Draco's and back to the fireplace. So, it's not a big deal, said Draco, searching Potter's face for some clue as to what was going on in his head. Don't be all weird about it. Potter contorted his face into a horrible false smile, still looking into the fireplace. You sure know how to pick your bosses, he said. Draco stared at him, but Potter didn't look up. Pick. Did Potter think that Draco had weighed two options, one in which his body served as an outlet for the rages of more powerful men, and another where Draco led a nice normal life, and Draco had chosen the former? When Draco ended up in hell, and Potter ended up in the other place, Draco hadn't really understood much beyond hell when it came to muggle religion. Would Potter think Draco had chosen that too? That it was what he had picked? Although perhaps that was what he had done at sixteen, when he took the mark. He remembered an essay he had helped Adelaide with in her French class, on a philosopher named Sartre, who talked about absolute freedom and absolute responsibility. Draco stared at his deformed hand and felt the full weight of his choices, what they had led him to. Maybe that was what Potter meant. Potter poked him. Draco looked up. Everything felt very floaty and far away, as if he were underwater. Malfoy? said Potter, and he looked concerned. You just spaced out. I should go, said Draco. Potter followed him to the door. He still had that troubled expression, and he put his hand on Draco's wrist when Draco reached for the knob. Draco, he said. Draco couldn't look at him. It wasn't something I chose, said Draco, although he hadn't meant to say anything. I know, said Potter. I'm sorry, I don't know why I said that. Draco was answering before he could stop himself. The fearful, bewildered words tumbled out of him, unstudied. You think... You think I wanted any of this? Deserved, maybe, I don't know, probably, but wanted. You think I picked Tertius, crushing my hand in a door hinge because I spilled cream of mushroom soup on the parquet? Potter was shaking his head, over and over. He took Draco's face in his hands, so softly, and ran his thumbs over Draco's cheeks. No, he said. Listen, I just panicked. I had... I had no idea Tertius was doing that to you. If I had known, I, I wouldn't have... I'm sure if it had been you, you would have riddled your way out of it somehow. I'm sure you would have made better choices, but it didn't feel... It didn't 
If there were other choices, I didn't know what they were, said Draco. Hey, hey, said Potter, leaning his forehead against Draco's cheek. No, of course I wouldn't have. I'm so sorry I said that. I I was just shocked. I'd never noticed your hand before. It took me by surprise. I glamour it, usually, said Draco, his voice coming out in slightly broken fragments. I was just too tired today, Draco, said Potter, his nose nudging against Draco's, and then he dipped in for a slow kiss. Draco made a high noise in his throat, and Potter tilted his mouth away, rested his forehead against Draco's. His hands were on Draco's neck now. I'm sorry, he said. I tried to get away, said Draco. I was trying. Why do you think I was so happy to see you that day? Oh, said Potter. I should go, said Draco. Adelaide will be home soon. Potter squeezed his eyes shut. Fuck, he muttered. He sank forward and kissed Draco again, more desperately even than before, then stepped away. Sorry, he said. Draco wasn't sure what he was apologising for. Let me know if the potion works, said Draco. Yeah, I will, said Potter. His eyes fell on Draco's hand again. I will. That was part three of Teenage Wasteland, written and read by Gala Basidia. Tune in next week for part four. Don't forget to join my newsletter if you like at newsletter.gallopod.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating and a review on the Apple Podcast app or share it with a friend who you think will like the show. I also have an Instagram at letthemeatbooks with underscores instead of spaces where I post reviews of the books I read, so please say hello on there. Thank you for listening.